Let's uh, head to Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, verses 18. We're going to look at, uh, well, 17 a little bit. We're going to look into 18 a little bit. Um, we're eventually going to spill into the rest of this chapter, 19 through 23. I want to take my sweet time with it. There are so many wonderful things in this passage. And uh, we're in no hurry. We're here to study God's Word. So uh, we're going to spend several more weeks here in Ephesians chapter number 1. So let's start with a word of prayer before we go to the text. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word, just for the joy of being together today, that we can uh, sit around this throne of yours, uh, learn from you, and, and have you instruct us from your word. Lord, we are all so thankful to be your children. We are also your students, and we pray that you might uh, continue to do that great work in our heart and life to make us like Jesus Christ. We are dependent upon you for it. So we submit ourselves to that today, knowing that when you're working in our lives, you're going to change us. We want to be uh, willing partners in that today. So check our hearts and check our, our wills, and may they be in keeping with your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. During the course of the week, I received a uh, large envelope in the mail that said at the bottom, open immediately, important information. And uh, so, of course, you're always intrigued by such envelopes, aren't you? You have to open it up and see what's so important. And there it was, my insurance document. Uh, health insurance. Uh, the manual is right in front of me. I had mixed reactions to that, to tell the truth. It was kind of a funny thing. I normally don't. Not, but first of all, I, I'm always thankful to have that, um, especially over the last... Uh, handful of years have come to appreciate health insurance and, and how it handles cost with, with case treatments. Uh, uh, the figure, I never quite added it all up, but I know it was nearly half a million dollars when, it was, when we had gone through a lot of that, and it was like, ouch, that'd be a heavy price tag to have to pay. Uh, so I've been thankful for insurance, but at the same time, I, I looked at that envelope and saw that manual and kind of thought, well, I really don't care. I don't know how to express it, but it was, maybe it was just because I, was, I wasn't feeling well during the week, and, and to get a manual like that, and they tell me, this is important, and all of a sudden I thought, well, I'm not sure I really care. See, I guess it comes from the, the mentality that for all these years, uh, that was something I desired to do for my family, to provide for them. To, it was a voluntary thing, it was a willing thing and something I felt was very important in that regard. But now that it's mandatory, you have a sen different sense about it than maybe it's just me. Uh, a, a mandatory thing. This Matter of fact, last month my policy was canceled because it wasn't right. And this is my new policy, which is identical practically, but it's right now. And so I said, okay. Um, so I'm not in any... In enthusiastic mode to read the manual right now. Uh, it's still sitting on my floor, by the way. I guess my heart's not <laughs> engaged to do it. Um, but you can be sure it's not going to be my morning devotions. Um, it's just there. Now, today as I, I speak to you about another manual that we have been given, uh, it outlines the benefits and the responsibilities we have in the spiritual realm God's Word. 
God's Word. Specifically, we've been here in Ephesians chapter 1, which I like to think of as a great catalog of God's investment in you and in me. It records for us all the blessings that he has secured for us through the high price of giving his son. There's nothing more precious than this. Are we thankful for that? (coughs) I'm going to ask some questions today that uh, reflect whether or not our hearts are engaged. Not just thankful for the fact of it and thankful that he has done this, but are we also desiring to learn more of what he has done for us? To learn more of what he has given to us? To what he's doing right now in our life as well? Is our heart engaged to understand it? I'm intentionally choosing words today, like heart and engaged. Do we need a little prompting? Do we, do we need a little attitude adjustment? Can we take the word of God in the morning and wake up and think, well, I'm not feeling well and it's a busy day and there's so much to do and I just, well... We don't want to say, I don't care, but I'm just not there to spend time in His Word. My my heart's not engaged to do that. In Ephesians 1, we've seen for the last few verses, 15, 16, now into 17 and 18, Paul praying for the Ephesian believers. And it's a very earnest prayer, an intense prayer. It is a a continuous prayer, too. That's the way he says he prays for them. This fashion all the time. He says in verse 15, For this reason I, too, (coughs) having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Notice that phrase in verse 18. It says in the New American Standard Version, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why is he aiming at the heart in this prayer? I I asked myself that question here this past week as I thought through this passage. Why was it that the Ephesians needed a prayer like this? What what made it necessary? What, What made it so important? that Paul had stated these words, especially, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What was it about the Ephesians that prompted such a prayer? Now, Paul visited Ephesus for the first time in uh, the year 51 AD, right about there. He was on his second missionary journey. He had already spent time on his first journey up in uh, the area of Galatia and uh, headed back down to the home base in Antioch. 
And then on his second journey, he went back up into Galatia and traveled across Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, and, and <coughs> received a call. We call it the Macedonian call in Acts chapter 16 to go up into uh, the northern countries where Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, he went up into that region for a while. And persecution was pretty heavy, and he eventually worked his way down to Athens and Corinth. Corinth was a hard place to minister. Over the years, uh, he spent there a year and a half his first time into Corinth. And uh, I, could, I could almost feel his exhaustion just by the way he wrote to them a letter after that and things that they were contending with in that culture and in that church itself. And after leaving that ministry, if you ever uh, followed maps in the back of your book on his second missionary journey, we see Paul getting on boat and going across the Aegean Sea from Greece over back to Asia Minor, Turkey, the area of Turkey. And there he lands in Ephesus. And what a relief that had to have been to him. To go into the territory of Ephesus, that's his first journey into Ephesus, and soon a church had started there. And these people became very dear to his heart. He ministered a short while there in Ephesus, and had had to work his way back toward the territory of Jerusalem. And on his third missionary journey, we see Paul desiring to, to go back to Ephesus. About five years have transpired. Uh, he went up, or a couple of years rather, went up to Ephesus there. And there he stayed with them for three years, ministering among the Ephesians. Got to know them quite well in three years. He had received notice of trouble in Corinth. He started writing letters back and forth from Corinth to uh, Ephesus there to help them, and eventually had to leave Ephesus and head back up toward Corinth. Uh, in order to deal with some of the problems. And yet, after he was through with that, on his way back to Jerusalem, he intentionally stopped to meet with the Ephesian elders because he wanted to see them one more time and headed back to Jerusalem. When he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested. He was taken to Rome. There, while he was in Rome, he wrote them this letter. He wrote this letter. The church was about ten years old by this time. From what we have understood in their past, they had some of the best apostles and best missionaries ministering in that church. Paul was there for a length of time. We know quite a number of others had gone that way too, including Timothy, probably Apollos as well. But uh, later, the apostle John himself ministered in that church for some time. They were always known as a a church with some of the uh, elite, among those who preached and taught, they would stay in Ephesus. And so I I had to think, why, why would Paul be writing to them this phrase? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened. Now, I, I could speculate a little bit. But part of that would be, maybe they were already showing signs of the traits that Revelation chapter 1 speaks of. You know Revelation chapter 1 and into chapter 2. Churches are addressed there in the first three chapters anyway. And the Ephesian church is mentioned as leaving their first love. Leaving their first love. 
They had great knowledge in doctrinal things. Great knowledge in that. But they had left their first love. I think sometimes, uh, maybe it's a reflection of myself, how easy that can happen in the academic world and in being able to know so much that uh, we can lose what he might say here, the enlightenment of the eyes of the heart. And I wonder if that might be something that was already showing in them. Or it could have been, perhaps, since they are so faithful in walking in the ways of the Lord, the book of Acts indicates a very healthy congregation here in Ephesus. It was brought up in the midst of persecution, but it benefited greatly from teaching and uh, it had leading apostles. It has this book written to it, which speaks so highly of them all the way through. You would think, well, maybe, maybe it's just a good, healthy, healthy, strong church. And maybe Paul realized that their spiritual potential was huge. And so much more they can be. So much more they can be. Sometimes we compare ourselves to other people and say, hey, we're doing pretty good. We've got this, or we've got that, we've got this. And, and when we make comparison side to side, we might consider ourselves to be, you know, doing pretty well. And yet when we compare ourselves to what God has in store for us, and what He would have us to be, would we say our potential is great and maybe we need some prayer? Maybe that's part of it. He knew the potential of this fellowship. And, and they weren't there. They needed to grow more and to become more aware of what God was doing. So maybe that's why he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. <coughs> or simply, it could be that these Ephesian believers, living in a very pagan culture, like they did, a very wicked location, needed intense prayer for them. We would say that would be true anyway, wouldn't it? Uh, we live in a very wicked world, don't we? Difficult culture to, to maintain a, a very solid Christian testimony with all the uh, uh, things that revolve around us in a day's time. Intense prayer is the only way to meet that as we pray for one another. And so it could be quite easy in a wicked world even to slacken just a little bit just a little bit of spiritual fervor. Because we're doing okay compared to other people. But the days are still evil. And I would think that uh, praying for someone to understand and know God, like he said in verse 17, if you're praying that way for someone, you're concerned that someone who has great potential, maybe doesn't even know it, but maybe in the midst of it all, and the busyness of life, and, and the culture, and the pressures, and all that could come around and invade us, maybe our hearts do need to be engaged in a more intense way. That the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. This is his prayer for them. He, he's continuing the thought from verse number 15, how he unceasingly prays this way for them. That's how important it is to him. That God would give them understanding about himself. That they would grow in their understanding. Now notice that concern. I've said it so many times already, I know. 
that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's, that's directly attached to his request of verse 17. Verse 17, he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's his request. That, you, that God will give you the ability to know him. That he would do that so that you may know him. Verse 18 then actually says that it is something quite valuable. It is quite possible. It says, in reality, that God has already given you what Paul is asking in verse 18. I'll show you what I mean by this. Uh, choice of words. If you have a, a, a Bible translation that does what the New American Standard uh, translators chose to do... There are times when you're translating a, a Greek verse that they don't... See, they're not dependent on words like we are. Uh, helping words, especially. <coughs> they're able to communicate in one word a whole sentence at times. And uh, when we put that into English, sometimes we need a little help along the way to say, what is he saying here? What, what, what are the words that fill in the blank? I teach my students to be very literal in their translation, and it's always funny in class when they're reading them back to me, how they say, this sounds terrible. There's something missing in this sentence. And I said, then you got it right. Because that's exactly how it transposes when we're trying to work it into English. Now, the first three words in the New American Standard Version, I pray that, is in italics. And some of the translators will do that to show you, they've inserted those words to help you understand what the text is trying to say. And so they, they have added those words. The actual phrase is this. At the end of verse number 17, says that he may give you the, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. That's how it really reads in the, the Greek translation. The eyes of your heart having been enlightened. You know, that immediately said something to me when I thought it through. Because it's, an, and it's something already accomplished. They have been enlightened. They have been enlightened. Something already done. I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting uh, how that phrase comes out. Spiritual perception has already been accomplished. We just didn't realize it, maybe. Some people would say it this way, maybe in a, a more contemporary version. Well, he's already clicked on the switch. Or, another way is, is uh, your eyes have already been opened. You've already seen. You, you have that, that mechanism, if you will. Maybe a poor choice of words. But you have that ability. God has already turned that on in you. The eyes of your heart. He's already opened that up that they may see. You see, we, we say it here in uh, theological ways, that once we were blind, we even sing it in the song, don't we? Once we were blind, unable to see or understand the, the glory and character of our God. We didn't care then, did we? We didn't care about His character. We didn't care about His glory. Matter of fact, He was a threat to us. 
a threat to us. He was our enemy. Scripture said that. And when the light of the truth was shown in our direction, we hid our face, as John would tell us. He, he said we would hide our face because we didn't want our deeds exposed. We were like that before we knew Christ. But when he saved us, when he saved us, a complete transformation occurred here. We went from blind to vision. Right? Once I was blind, but now I can see. We went right to vision. What an incredible thing that is. We were loved, and we wanted to be loved, and we wanted to love too. He became our God. He became our friend. Isn't that quite a phrase? He became our friend. We were given an appetite for the truth. It was instilled within us. We were, we were like blind men who would be running back through the crowd saying, I can see, I can see. What a difference he made in us. He gave us that ability. Now, we're quick to acknowledge that we didn't perform some sort of self-surgery to give ourselves vision, right? We did not do that to ourselves. This is God's work. Every single time in, in the New Testament where you read in the Gospels of Jesus performing the miracle of giving sight to the blind, that was a statement that he reiterated over and over. I am God. Who else could do such a thing? To give sight to the blind. Only God can do that. And that was one of the miracles that kept popping up on the page. How he would give sight to the blind. We're not afraid to give him credit for our spiritual perception, are we? We're not afraid to, to say it's from him, are we? No. I know you're not uh, taking any credit for that yourself. But here's the question that comes in light of this statement in verse number 18. Do we exercise that spiritual perception that he has given to us? The question is not whether or not you have it. The question is whether or not you use it. See? That's why it became a prayer request. God has given you this, just like all these blessings in Ephesians 1. He's given to you forgiveness of sin. He's given to you a, a relationship as adopted as son. He has given to you the Holy Spirit who has sealed you. We read of all those great things. He's also given you spiritual perception. Spiritual perception. And it doesn't work too well with a heart that says, I really don't care, does it? No, it doesn't. That's why I think it's part of this phrase, this prayer. And, and perhaps our, our translators were helpful by just simply saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Because I think that's sometimes where the rub is. See, when Peter writes, go over to 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse number 9. Peter has something that really is pressing on his heart here as he's writing. No, I said 1 Peter. I meant 2 Peter. That's better. Second Peter, my notes, somebody didn't type that right. <clears throat> In Second Peter chapter 1, 
Peter is concerned that his audience is growing in their faith. He says, I want you to grow. I want you to make room in your faith that, that these spiritual qualities, he mentions them in verse number 5 and 6 and 7. He says, diligence and excellence in moral things, moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, that these are increasing in you. They're growing in you. That's his plea for these people as he writes to them because he says, the result of that will leave you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's his concern. There are people who lack these things. And that's a puzzlement. I could, I could understand. Why would they lack these things? But they do. They do. Verse number 9. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. He has become blind, short-sighted. The, the phrase, and I know I've shared this before, the, the picture of verse number 9 comes from a Greek concept of a room full of smoke. Hopefully you've never been in a scenario where you've woken up in the middle of the night and the house was on fire. And the whole place is just full of smoke. That's got to be a frightful experience. Um, just a year ago, I woke up to the fire alarms blasting away in the, the parsonage. And of course, I grabbed my flashlight and said, I went running through that house every which way I could. A battery had gone bad in that little device. And it was just screaming like crazy and scared me to death. But I was so glad there wasn't a fire. But if you wake up and you find yourself in the midst of all that smoke, there's a sudden urge to escape the danger, of course, and a lot of thoughts going through the mind immediately of this has to, this, got to get the chills, got to do this, got to do this, you know, how quickly all that can rattle off. And yet there is an element of confusion in the midst of it because of the, the heaviness of the smoke, it's hard to see the exit. That's why we put, you know, red signs and, and, you know, lights and alarms and things all around the room so that you can at least find your way out the door. Well, the picture here is that one who is not growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, in their knowledge of Him, if they've settled for a, a, a immature stance, he says they're nothing but people who are blinded by the smoke around them, if, they, if you will. They've been blinded, and they can't see what they should know. They've been forgiven of their sins, but now they're wallowing in it, and they just don't have the reminder that God's already dealt with that. Why are you still in that room? That's the picture he says here. He says they're like short-sighted people. They forgot. They forgot. They forgot. Now, are they in danger? Absolutely in danger. Peter writes to them in that appeal. Now, that's his, his statement there about those who are blind or short-sighted. That's a vision problem. Now, back in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews 5, verse number 14. Well, I'm going to back up just one verse. Verse 13 and 14. Show you a contrast of two here. Hebrews 5, 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. 
but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, watch those words, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So there are those who are mature, and because of practice in the word, practice, they have their senses trained to be able to discern good and evil. That's a contrast to what Peter just said of those who are are blinded, short-sighted. And their senses, they don't even know the exit from the room, and they are wallowing in the concept of unforgiveness. Now, the way these two are set up, these two verses I just read to you, you can't be both. You can't be both. You can't be short-sighted and mature. You can't be forgetful and have your senses trained to discern right and wrong. I know what human tendencies are, especially among believers. We, we may settle. Uh, maybe we don't want to admit it, but here's the reality. We may settle for a slight lack of vision. Just as long as we still look good to other people. Just so we still look good. They say that cataracts develop slowly. And as they develop, eventually you, you start losing vision because of it. And some people are not even aware that they've lost that vision. I, I don't know how many times I've, I've had parents and in-laws that have had to deal with cataracts, and we have people here in the church that deal with cataracts and, and things of that nature. My eye doctor's already warned me to expect that down the road. Uh, he's, everything that comes with eyes, he always says, now you watch for that one too. So uh, as we talk through things, he says, now that you've got to watch for too because you're, you, you get used to your vision, even though it's not what it used to be. You get used to it. You settle for things that way. I remember all the years going over to see my father-in-law that he had a little square on his refrigerator. It looked like grid work and it had a little dot in it. And if you've ever known those who've gone through macular degeneration, you know exactly what that little square is for. It was an exercise chart for his eyes. He would have to stand on the other side of the kitchen and hold his hand over one eye and, and somehow, I don't know what he was doing, playing with that dot but he was supposed to exercise his eyes to, to get that, you know, in vision and in focus. And he was, he always had that little chart up on the refrigerator. And I remember seeing that exercise that he did to kind of fight back against the advancement of macular degeneration. How's your vision today? Not just your physical vision. Of course, I'm concerned about that too. But let's do a quick scan of your spiritual vision today. Among the things that uh, <coughs> I want to ask you is whether or not you know that God has already given you spiritual perception. He's already made it possible for you to see. He has already enlightened your eyes so that you may see and understand Him with your heart. Do you know that? Do you know He's already made that possible? Look at the text again here in Ephesians 1, and let's be very specific about what we're reading here. He says, the eyes of your heart, right? The eyes of your heart 
I thought that was an interesting phrase. Not the eyes in your head. The head can make this all very academic. Right? The heart speaks of your love. He wants the eyes of your heart to be engaged here. See, the, the world, if they chose to, could respond to their creator through the eyes in their head. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows all these things about him. When you, when you step back, you say, really, there, there isn't any excuse, and God knows that, for the world to say, I don't see evidence of him. It's only the fool that said in his heart there is no God. But throughout Scripture we see the record over and over again that God's glory is clearly seen in the world without excuse. It's because they have eyes in their head. And you can see the things around you and understand that. Oh, let me even put it in this perspective. Satan himself knows thoroughly who God is. Completely academically, he understands that God is his creator. But we are called to love the Lord our God with all our head. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Heart. You see, we can know him with the perception of our heart. That's what the, the prayer is calling for here. Uh, do we know he's given to us that ability? Do we know that? That's the first question that I had on my, my thoughts here. You, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has given you the ability to see. Do you know that? He's given you that ability. And so, with that, are we thankful? Are we thankful that we can see? Are we thankful for that? Surely you don't think of God's work in your life as something you deserved. Yeah, I I kind of expected that, God. I was waiting for you to do it. We don't think that, do we? We, we? We know we haven't earned it in any fashion. But we have received his work in our life through humility. We have received it with thankfulness. I, I trust that's where we are. Since he has given us the eyes to see him with, I pray that we're thankful. Paul was thankful for what God had done in their lives. But here's the next question related to it. And I bring it back to my first thought as I begin here. Do you care? You have that ability to see. Do you care? that's, That's kind of a hard question, isn't it? Has your quest to know him, has it been met with insensitivity, indifference, even a bored response? Have you found that you can carry on for days without any reference to God in your life at all? When's the last time you actually picked up his word... Without that sense of, if I don't do this, I'm going to get zapped or flat tire or something. Um, You picked up his word out of pure desire to know him better. At a random moment in the day, 
Not that designed moment when you say, I've got to have my devotions here or there, but in the middle of a day, in the middle of a, of a, of a time, you just say, no, I think I just want to spend some time with my God. When's the last time you've been there? And you've desired more than anything just to know Him better. Just to spend time with Him. Is it possible that we need this prayer for us as much as they needed it? That the eyes of our heart may be enlightened. There are so many things that we need to know, folks. We need to know, as Paul would say here, what is the hope of his calling? But we won't know that unless our our hearts are engaged to desire to know it. We've got to have our eyes enlightened to know what is the hope of our calling. We want to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You say, that's a mouthful. What is that? Do you want to know? That's the question this morning. Not that Pastor Bob is going to do it anyway. Do you want to know that? Do you want to know what it is that he has given to us? Do you want to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. Wow, if we could fathom the power of God at work in us, it'd scare us to death. We're going to have to start wearing caution signs on the front of our shirts. Just look out, God's at work right here. That's an incredible amount of power invested in you. Do you know it? Do you want to know it? Do you care? Those are the questions I relate to you. Because I know as a believer, wow, we we can get so invested in so many things and forget that we are put in this relationship with God so that we may know Him, to know Him, and to have these eyes engaged to search out Him, that we may know what He has done in our hope and in His glory and in His power, and these things are at work in our lives. We need to know this, don't we? Or is it just another manual we tossed on the floor because our hearts are not engaged? That's my concern. I wonder if that was Paul's as he wrote this letter. As a believer, it's not a matter of if. You have been able to see. The fact is there. The question that comes with it is, is that what we want? I know it's what we need. Is that what we want? This is what uh, the psalmist wrote. Just one verse. Think this through for a minute. Psalm 146 verse 8 says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Aren't those sweet words? He has done this, folks. He has opened our eyes. Do we use them to see Him? There's your challenge for the week. Talk to Him about that in prayer. Talk to Him about that in prayer. Recognize what He has done and ask Him those heavy questions as to whether or not your heart cares. This is your desire, as well as the work of His in your heart.
Heavenly Father, you know us well. Nothing hidden from your sight. We are needy people, Lord. We are so needy. This phrase that we have looked at here today really does strike at the very depth of our being. For we are very good at academics. We're very good at outward appearances. We're very good at filling our day with busyness and showing the appearance of doing things right. Perhaps we've done that for years just to show, to let other people know that we were right. But Lord, this is an issue of the heart that we have read of today. It's an issue of a heart because it speaks of a relationship between you and me, between us as a church and you, us as individuals and you. This is not about what the rest of the world is, is thinking or doing or saying. This is our hearts that you have given ability to see with. And that has been granted that we might know you. And I pray, Lord, that we have been using our eyes in that fashion. If not, Lord, you're very good at conviction, I know. You're very good at correction as well. There's no one better to go to with eye problem than with you. And I pray, Lord, if there are those needs needs represented here today, of those who have not been seeing you and desiring to do so, I pray, Lord, that you would do that work that only you could do. To grant them a clear vision. To give them a strong desire. To draw us all to your throne. To know you better. We need to. And I pray that you would do that work today for us. We pray it. We plead it today. In Jesus' name. Amen.